Now, uh, I know that this subject or this, this phrase, a kingdom of priests, that if you've been in church any amount of time, it's probably something you're familiar with. You've probably heard that phrase. Um, and, and it, you know, for those that have been around uh, in the Lord a long time, kingdom of priests, it's something, it's, it can even be just something that's so familiar, it's almost cliche. And I, I think about my own life, how for years I would come in I would sing songs in worship and the songs would reference things that I didn't even know the Bible passages for, but I would sing the songs and I heard the language with no understanding of it. For instance, we sang a song this morning that was a call to worship uh, and, and the call was, come alive, dry bones. So if you're new, you might be like, that's weird. What does that mean, come alive, dry bones? Well, it's from Ezekiel 38, where the valley of dry bones, the, the Lord uh, breathes on the dry bones and they become living people again. But I remember growing up in church and they would sing songs. We're going up to Zion. It's a higher place. And I remember thinking, I don't know where Zion is, but I, I'm going there, I suppose. This sounds good. But for years, as a young man, just trying to get acquainted uh, with the word and understand, there was all sorts of things that I heard that I didn't know what, where they were in the Bible. I didn't know anything about it. And I feel like this concept of being a kingdom of priests, it's a phrase that's thrown out there. It's sort of, it's sort of lightly buttered over a lot of our bread that we don't even understand it at all. And so I want to dig into it a little bit this morning so that we can get greater understanding of who we are. Uh, what our identity is, what our first calling is. Um, so many young people I talk to, they say, I, I just want to know my calling. And, 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 and what they mean is they want to know the job or the career path that God is, is leading them to. And, and I would just say it this way, that your job isn't your identity. And whatever you get to do with the Lord in this age, that's not your first calling. You have a different calling. And I want to talk about what that is. So, so to do that, I want to um, take us back to Genesis. Uh, Genesis 2, I want to look at two little passages, and, and I, want to, I want to lay out a little theology for you. Now, if, you, if you're into reading theology, I will give you a book that you can read that's full of the theology about what, what I'm about to unpack for you, if you're into that sort of thing, I'll give you this name of this book. It's called Recalling the Hope of Glory by a guy by the name of Alan Ross. Recalling the Hope of Glory, Alan Ross. Alan Ross has more letters after his name than I have in my name. But he's, you know, he's got a, a, a master's from, from Dallas Theological, and he's taught in many, many um, you know, educational environments. But he, he brings out in this particular book the concepts of our identity uh, as worshipers. And he specifically talks about who we are as priests. And the way he does that is by identifying the first calling of the first man in the first environment that that first man was placed, Adam, his calling before the Lord. And so I wanna just point two verses to you, then I wanna give some explanation. But Genesis chapter two, verse eight, it says this, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man 
whom he had formed. He placed the man. Now, Alan Ross and other theologians will tell you that that term placed, it, it, it's the term that speaks of uh, the calling or the placement that the Lord would use later in talking about the Levites and, and the sons of Aaron, the priests. This term wasn't simply about putting him somewhere. It was actually about assigning him a, a, a calling. He was placed in the garden. Verse 15, it goes on and says, the Lord, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Cultivate it and keep it. And the word that is translated keep, again, that is another term that's used regarding priests, the Levites, when they were to keep the sanctuaries of God. And so what Alan Ross and other theologians expressed to us is this, that Adam was the first priest of humanity. He wasn't simply a farmer with a few rows of carrots and a few rows of cabbage. Now, I know that might be a departure from the way you've thought of things, but let me just sort of paint this picture for you. Have you ever been to the Biltmore Estates? How many has ever been to Biltmore in North Carolina? Many of you have. Well, if you haven't been there, Biltmore is a big mansion, and uh, the the house is, I mean, it's enormous, and you could go online and look at it, and, or just drive up to North Carolina and take a look at this thing. It's, it's, it's huge, and uh, probably, probably bigger than all of our buildings here combined. I mean, it's just enormous. But what, what is even equally as uh, amazing as the, the house are the gardens, of the Biltmore. Like you walk around those gardens and I mean, there are paths and there, there's water and there's all these organics and trees and, and flowers. The floral is amazing. And then there's, there's structures and buildings. And I mean, that, that garden is one of the most fascinating, um, extensive gardens that, that you, could, you, know, you could ever wanna see. And, 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 you know, what you find out is it's very, very normal for, especially in the, the, you know, older generations, generations gone by, where you had either uh, aristocrats or you had uh, kings that when they would build themselves a palace, they would build uh, an, a, a substantial palace, or, but they would build an equally substantial garden. You know what I'm saying? And, and when you go over there at Biltmore and you see what that guy built, I mean, it is fascinating. It's fantastic. You could spend all day just walking around in the garden. And, um, and here's the thing that I want to propose to you. If Biltmore and other people like him built a garden of that kind of extensive beauty and, 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 and wonder with, you know, water and you know, paths and buildings, organics everywhere, just, just fascinating, amazing. If that's what that guy built, now he has a house. Now, compared to heaven, he's got a little bitty house. If his little bitty house, compared to heaven, has a little bitty garden like that, let me ask you this question. What kind of garden did God the Father build when he put Adam in that garden? Was it three rows of carrots, three rows of cabbage, a couple of potatoes and some corn, and hopefully the corn makes it through the winter? I mean, do you think it was that? No, I'll guarantee you what God put Adam in far surpasses any 
of the gardens that we see now. Uh, you know, when God created the heavens and the earth and God created man and, and God put Adam in the garden, I, I guarantee you he didn't put Adam in the middle of a fixer-upper. He put him in perfection. In fact, the word Eden means pleasure or delight. And so God put Adam in a garden and and what we'll find out is this calling of Adam as a priest speaks to this location that God put him in. That garden wasn't simply about Adam, you know, sort of growing some, some vegetables. That garden was the first sanctuary. And Adam, while he had a job to sort of make sure the garden was tended, he had a first calling, and that calling was to meet with God in the sanctuary. Am I making sense? And so when we see Adam and we think about the garden, what we actually have to realize is God didn't create the first man to be a farmer. God created the first man to be a priest, to be a priest. And I just want you just to dream with me just for a second. Now, I remember when my wife and I, when we first, uh, when, when we went on our 10th anniversary, we were gonna take our first sort of, you know, big vacation. We saved as much as we could and, and we put everything together. We got every dime and penny and we made it happen. And we went to Maui on vacation. And, uh, you know, that first night we were driving along the, the road there that was right next to the, to the seashore. And we just happened to hit it just right. It was sunset. And when we were driving along that road, that sunset, the sun, when it hit the water, it looked like the sun exploded in the sky. I mean, the entire horizon was painted. With, I mean, purple and pink and yellow and, and orange. I mean, the colors that hit the canvas of the sky, it, it was I mean, it was just a sight to behold. It was, it was mind-boggling. I remember pulling off the side of the road as soon as I saw it. Whoa, I pull off the side, I almost get in a wreck. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't everybody pulling off the side of the road? And then I realized, well, it's because I'm a tourist. <laughs> and they're used to seeing this every single night. But in that moment, I mean, the creation was so declaring the glory of God. It was so evident that, man, a master has created this masterpiece. And what a beautiful thing that the Lord would give us, that, that type of thing, to just drink in the wonder of himself. And, and then I remember shortly after that thinking to myself, wait a minute, that's the best sunset I've ever seen. But that sunset... It's on this side of sin. In other words, that sunset, that's the most amazing sunset I've ever seen, but that sunset is actually under a curse from the fall where all creation came under a curse. And I started thinking to myself, what was it like in the garden with Adam and Eve? And there they are in this place of perfection and beauty and wonder, and there's no curse. What was that place like? I mean, every part of that garden had to have been animate with the very glory of God. There's life in everything. 
There's life in the trees. There's life in the fruit. There's life in the vegetation, in the animals. I've thought about this before and and, and mentioned this, but it seems to me when a snake comes into that place and starts speaking, the first problem is that snake is talking. If a snake comes to your house and starts talking to you, check it off. That's a bad snake. You don't want that guy in your house. But why did the fact that he was talking not throw Adam off? Just proposed, possible. I'm not saying this is scripture, but maybe animals talk. Maybe Mr. Ed lived in the garden. I think it's possible. But I do know this, that that garden was animate with the glory of God in a way that you and I have yet to conceive. We've never understood it fully, but there's something on the inside of us that tells us there's wonder beyond what we've ever, ever been able to partake. And here's the thing. I mean, I just want you to dream with me for a minute. What was the fruit like in the garden? I mean, you've had good fruit sometimes, somewhere, someplace. You had a pineapple when it was just right. And that, the sugar, I mean, the way that explodes in your mouth, the juice. I mean, you've had a Georgia peach when it was right on time. Grapes, I mean, you've had honeydew. I don't know what your favorite is, but you know you've had fruit that at the exact, you got it at the exact time of perfect ripeness. And when you ate that thing, you didn't need any chocolate because you had glory, right? But the best fruit you've ever eaten It's fruit that's been produced in a world that was under a curse. What was the fruit like before? What were the grapes like before? Anybody ever seen these transformation videos that are out there? They have these these transformation videos. George Onus Jr., if you've never seen one, you should see it. He's gone into places in the earth where there's been revival that's taken over in in cities. And a lot of times they'll show how different things have been healed in the society, how the, how the government's been healed. And, 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 and I remember there's one where the coral reef had, gotten, had completely died but because of witchcraft and things. And then they had this massive revival and the coral reef came alive and the fishing industry came back. Well, there's this one place that I remember seeing in Guatemala where they had this revival and 99% of this, this town of about 10 or 15,000 people, they all got born again. They were all worshiping Jesus. Well, they were an agricultural town and they show the vegetation that they're getting out of the ground. And when they would show the carrots, they would be this long and they would be this thick, one carrot. I'm like, I'm guessing you can eat on that carrot for an entire week, but the ground was healed. You know, he said he'll heal our land. So the ground even got healed. But what does that tell us about? That, that shows us what it was like in the garden. I can just imagine Adam's like, I'm going to go get some grapes, honey. Do you want some? She says, sure. He comes back and he's got two grapes. Here's one for you. Here's one for me. He goes to bite into it. Boom. And it explodes all over him. Covered in glory, grape juice. Hallelujah. And the flavor of that thing had to have been so alive. And the grass under their feet was so alive. And the whole environment was so alive. And it's in that place of wonder and beauty and glory that Adam, his first job is to actually be a priest unto God. 
be a priest unto God. Now, when we see firsts in the Bible, oftentimes it tells us what the purpose or what the God's plan for that thing over the whole creation is supposed to be. And so when we see the first man and he's in that place as a set as a priest to God, it tells us something about all of our identities, that we're called to be priests unto God. Now, now follow this with me. Turn over with me to Exodus chapter 19. And I want to work through this. Exodus 19, super powerful chapter. It's when the children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've been at Mount Sinai for two months. They've just seen God rain down 10 plagues on the most powerful nation in the earth. They've just seen God swallow the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And they're there at Sinai. The Lord called them to Sinai to worship. He called them there to worship. Now think about this. Exodus 19, verse 6. He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now thinking about Adam, thinking about what happened there. When Adam and Eve get into sin and they're expelled from the garden, there can't be sin in the presence of the Lord. He sells out his identity and his authority to sin and no longer is he able to be a priest in that sanctuary. And so then what we have from the generations of Adam all the way here to Moses is God gets in a mode of restoring that intimacy that was lost. And so through bringing forth Abram, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, and then finally bringing forth Moses to be a deliverer, when God's calling Israel out of Egypt, he's calling them out of Egypt for one singular purpose, that they would come and worship me. Are you here? That's what he's after. He's after the thing that Adam lost in the garden, this ministry unto the Lord, this identity as priests. So when God gets them to Sinai, here's what he says. I want you all to be a kingdom of priests unto me. I want you all to have access. And here's what's the most interesting thing to me, that when we see the nation of Israel, we, we remember the Levites and the sons of Aaron, the priesthood that was established. But what we don't realize is that that priesthood was established after this thing at Sinai. See, the first invitation to Israel was that the whole nation would be priests because that was always God's intention for humanity. The first man was to be a priest, and I believe if, if sin doesn't enter, all of humanity are to be priests. But when sin enters and man loses that communion with God, God gets on an immediate plan to restore priesthood and when I'm saying priesthood, I don't want you to, don't think about a miter hat and, and a long white robe. Don't think about that. Don't think about, you know, swinging the incense and it's burning in the censer. Don't think about that. Think about this. A priest 
ministers to God. That's what a priest does. And then God ministers to the priest. And then the priest ministers to people. A priest ministers to God. God ministers to the priest. And then the priest ministers to others. That's how it goes. And God's invitation with with Adam was, come walk with me, be with me in the cool of the day. And in that interchange was this, this place of priesthood. Well, the same thing is going on here at Sinai. God invites Israel into priesthood, but he doesn't just invite Moses in. He doesn't just invite the Levites in. He invites everyone in. I want you to all be a kingdom of priests. I want you to all minister to my heart. I'll minister to you and you minister to me. Another way to say it is, I want to love you and I want you to love me back. Am I making sense? And so here's what happens. The the people hear this. They say, God wants us all to be a kingdom of priests. And, and, And Moses tells it to the people and the people say back to Moses, everything the Lord has said, we will do that. But it's so fascinating to me Because the next verse, verse nine, the Lord answers in a way that lets us know that he knew what was gonna happen. In verse nine, the Lord says this, after the people said, all the Lord has spoken, we're gonna do, we're gonna be that kingdom of priests. Verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Now that's an interesting response when the whole nation just said, we'll be a kingdom of priests to you. You, you get to interface with all of us. We, we, we love this. You want all of us to be in and have access and then we wanna be in. And then God says, no, no, here's what's gonna happen, Moses. I'm gonna speak right to you. And I, and I think, well, Lord, did you not hear what they said? Because they all said that they would be priests. But your answer was, you'll speak right to Moses. I, I don't understand. And, and all it is is as simple as this. God knew he was inviting them all in to encounter. And he knew that in one half a second, they were all going to reject that encounter. They were all going to say no in just one minute. And so here's what happens. God tells Moses, tell the people in three days, I'm coming down on the mountain. I'm gonna come down in my fullness, sanctify yourself, get, get, get sanctified and clean and ready because I'm coming down. And, and, and in verse 16, it says that it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunders and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. And when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Wow. Wow. God answered him with thunder. As it's getting louder and louder, more intense, more intense, Moses speaks right into the middle of that and God thunders. Here's what's gonna happen. In chapter 20, the Lord is gonna speak audibly the 10 commandments. I remember the first time I saw that, I was shocked. 
that the Ten Commandments weren't first given on tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments were first given by the voice of God in the hearing of the entire nation. Why? Why would God do it that way? Because he's making everybody a kingdom of priests. They all have access. And now flip over one page, verse chapter 20, verse 18. After God gives the 10 commandments, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, look at this, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Wow. God invited the whole nation into relationship. They all said they would. And then when they actually saw the one they were dealing with, they said, that's too intense. We don't want that. We don't want that version of encounter. Let's get someone else in there and that one can deal with God and then we'll just hear from that person. And so Moses ends up becoming that first line of priests. He's a prophet and a priest before the Lord between the people. And from there, the Lord, he, he anoints the Levites, he, he anoints the sons of Aaron, and he sets up a lineage of priests that would actually relate to God on behalf of the people and then relate to the people on behalf of God. But I want to tell you something really clearly. Man, you gotta hear me this morning. You gotta hear me. That was never God's intention. His intention was never to create a humanity that would have to go through another person to get to God. He wanted to create an entire humanity, an entire creation, an entire race of people who would all have personal access to himself. That's who you are. That's why he made you. So fast forward and Jesus comes and Jesus sheds his blood and Jesus, when, when he dies, the veil of the temple is torn, right? And the glory of God that was supposed to be dwelling in the most holy place of the temple, now it's out. And then when Jesus is, is resurrected, he comes and he's in the inner room with the disciples and he breathes on him. He says, receive the Holy Spirit because the glory of God through the Holy Spirit that was in that holy place is now going to be in people. And 50 days and fire falls on Pentecost and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now what's interesting is this, Sinai and Pentecost happen on the same day. Fire on the mountain, now we have fire on people. And the glory of God fills the people. And what the church is now is that we are a people who we don't have to go through any other person. The only person we go through is our high priest, Jesus. And guess where Jesus is? He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's also inside of you by the Holy Spirit. 
What has he done? He's completely gotten rid of the veil. He's gotten rid of the distance. And you and I, we have access to God. We are a kingdom of priests. And that's what Peter says. Look at this passage in, in 1 Peter. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 40 says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also are living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, he says this, You are are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I remember right after I got saved. I mean, this is in like 1988. And I don't know, I guess Hosanna Music had just come out with one of their Hosanna albums. And they, they did, they did this one. They did 1 Peter 2, 9. I had no idea it was in the Bible. I just, I don't know. It was very, it was a foot tapping tune. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Remember that? I'm like, I don't know what that is, but okay. Show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness, out of darkness, I remember going around singing that little bouncy song, no clue. You are a chosen generation. The generations in the past have all lived behind a veil. They all had to go through a priesthood. But no, now in Christ, you're a chosen generation. You are now a royal priesthood. The whole nation of believers in Christ, you're a kingdom of priests. Look, you don't have to go through me. I'm no more special than you. I'm no more anointed than you. You have the very access that I have, that any of them have. Name any minister or any worship leader, any person that you you value in history or, or currently. Name any one of them. You have the same access. And furthermore, ready, you have the same calling. Because your calling isn't your vocation. Your calling is firstly that you're a priest, which just makes you have to deal with this. God wants your ministry. He wants you to minister to him. Not just the worship team or Pastor Jeff or Dustin or any of us. He wants you to minister to him. And I can remember there's been days where I sit there and I look at myself in the mirror and I, and I, I go, God, you want this? You want me. You, you want me to minister to you. I need you to minister to me. He goes, we can get to that in a minute. But I've loved you through my Son, I've loved you through the cross. I've made a way and the invitation is now in your hand. Will you minister to me? You, and I go, you, you want me to minister to you? He goes, yes. I go, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to go do stuff for you? He goes, no. 
I go, I'll do whatever you want me to do for you. He goes, that's details. What's centrally and firstly most important is that you would know your calling and your identity before me. You are a priest called to minister to my heart. Let me, and I wanna tell you this. You, it doesn't matter what your vocation is. It doesn't matter what your station in life and is, is in life. It doesn't matter how old or how young. Uh, it doesn't matter male, female, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. None of that matters. You and I are all called with the same calling to minister to the heart of God. We're called as a kingdom of priests. See, we've taught this thing really bizarre over the years. We say, you gotta get up in the morning, you gotta read your Bible, why? So you can grow in faith, why? So God can use you to go do something for the kingdom. And let me just flip it on you. You gotta get up in the morning. You gotta love Jesus. Why? Because he's waiting for your eyes to open because he wants your love. Because he's given you access to his heart. You know, priests, they don't just have access to the room, they have access to his heart. What do I mean by that? You didn't just get like the backstage pass into the throne room of God. Yeah, you you got the pass into the throne room, but no, 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 you got more than that. You got access to the very heart of God. He shares his secrets with those who fear him, those that come near him and revere him. He wants to share his heart with you. He wants to experience love back and forth with you. This is the centerpiece of our identity. If we teach prayer as a means to get things, instead of teaching prayer as a means of God getting us, we've actually got the thing flipped. God gave us the vehicle of prayer so he could have us. He wants you. God wants you. He wants your presence. He wants your heart. He wants your face. He wants your eyes. And he's called us as priests to minister to him. And this is where the rubber meets the road for us. When we come together, when the church assembles, you know, the building isn't the church. We're the church, right? And in Christ, we're a kingdom of priests. When the church assembles, We assemble for several purposes. One is to worship God, isn't it? Are you guys with me today? We come and assemble to worship him. Now, here's what I think we've got to just really get aligned. Do you realize that when we come to worship him, that that doesn't matter then if I like the song? It doesn't matter if the air conditioning's working right. Doesn't matter if the padding on the seats are thick enough. Doesn't matter if they're singing the, the, the style of music I like. Man, when I got saved in the late 80s and 90s, there was a whole lot of like Southern gospel sounding kind of praise music going on. And I can remember having to go around and, and sing this Southern gospel music. I don't like Southern gospel. You may love it, God bless you for loving it. I've never been a country kind of person. I've never, I, I mean, you could tell me the name of the country guy. I don't even know him. I've just never been my flow. But I remember having to sing these songs because that's how I worshiped him. I went from listening to hard rock and heavy metal to singing country Southern gospel songs. That was the only thing I had. I remember when Ron Canoli came out, I was like, oh, praise God. Lift him up, yes. 
It at least had a little, it had some bass to it and it was good. But our worship to him is not based on our preference. Hear me. What if the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and was like, I don't like it in here. This is a, you know, this is a really confined area. I, I don't worship in confined areas. And this, all this smoke I'm having to swing, this is no, I can't worship in this smoke. How am I supposed to worship in that? I mean, what if he walked in demanding his preference to be the first step of actually being able to step into worship? That would be crazy, right? What we've done with church is we've made church an event that we go to. And, and so what happens is church has kind of gotten mixed with this American consumerism and this entertainment culture. So church is not who we are, it's what we do. You're gonna go to church? So church has become an event. And, and, and so because of it being an event, we don't wanna go to an event that we don't like. So the church event, the church service has to serve us. Now I'm just preaching too good for you guys to be this quiet. And so when we come in, we want it to be how we like it. We want the worship to be the way that we like, the songs to be the songs we like. And, and, and if, we, if we don't like it, we, we might literally walk away from a church worship service and say, I didn't get much out of worship today. But, but here's the point I would like to make. If you came thinking I'm gonna get something from worship, who did you come to worship? Did, did you come to worship yourself or did you come to worship God? Now look, I've been there. I'm not pointing the finger at you. I've been there many times. I've walked in and thought, oh my gosh, I know you're a good, good father, but we can't sing this song one more time. I just, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you're good, good father. I mean, I've done that. I, I, I get it. And I'm sitting there going, I really want them to sing this one song. There's a lot of heat on it. And then they sing something like 1990, back to lift him up, Ron Canoli. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, and there's just a point where you just go, okay, okay. It's not for me. It's for you. Think that through. We come to worship. Who are we worshiping? Him. Not us. I feel it for the worship team sometimes. And we don't do a lot of hyping the crowd, but I've been, I get to travel, I get to speak in a lot of different places, man. And a lot of these worship leaders, man, they're like, come on, everybody, please, come on. Let's just all stand, come on, come on, lift your hands, shout. And I'm like, what are they doing? They're trying to talk the worshipers of God into worshiping God. They're trying to hype them into worshiping him. What if we all came in the doors with the mentality that we are a kingdom of priests that's getting ready to assemble and that the first thing we're gonna do today is we're gonna give him something. We're gonna give him love. We're gonna give him adoration. We're gonna give him worship. We're gonna give him praise. And what if 
the, the environment, the lighting, the sound, the chairs, the AC? What if none of that actually impacted our first calling and our first identity to minister to the heart of God? What if we came like that? I guarantee you there would be this thing of agreement that we would hit and glory would be falling in our midst. I just guarantee you there is not one angel in the throne room of God going, are we still singing holy, holy, holy? Like, really? How many times are we going to sing this song? I, I guarantee you. Because the one at the center is so enthralling. He's so majestic. He's so wondrous that he has their full attention. Even if they've been singing the same song since the onset of creation. He's that compelling. And I would this, brothers and sisters, I would this, that we, when we come together, that we would come together to love him, to worship him, to adore him. And I'm telling you, he's already given the invitation. So the love has already been offered. And then he says, come and, and love me back. And when we would come together and priest before him, minister to him, then he would begin to interact with us in a way. I mean, that we, we just, it, will, it would be mind-boggling. Because every time I look in the scripture and when I see stuff, like they came together with one heart, one mind, and one accord, and they're worshiping God like that, you see things like the glory of the Lord filled the temple and nobody could stand to minister anymore. You see things like there was a wind, sound of wind that blew throughout the entire city and everybody was gathered to hear the sound and fire fell. You see the glory of God hit when people come together with a singleness of purpose in agreement to worship him. Beloved, that's one of the key reasons why we convene. Listen, that 20 or 30 minutes that we do on the front end, that isn't to sort of warm up the crowd so that the preacher can get to you know, good preaching. It's not. It's for us to step into our identity, to step into our first function of ministry together. He's in the midst of the congregation and that we can love him that way. We can step into this reality of being this kingdom of priests. All right, last verse, Revelation chapter one. Am I making sense this morning? Revelation one, verse six, he says this. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father, all glory and power to him forever and ever, amen. Now that may just sound like a little trite, little, he made us a kingdom of priests forever. But here's what's going on here. John has already had the, the, the whole encounter of the book of Revelation and he writes chapter one as an introduction after the encounter. So when he writes chapter one, he's saying, this is what I've seen. That thing that he did with Adam, that thing that he invited Israel into, that thing that has, he's made us in the gospel, he goes, I've already seen the end of it, and he's made us a kingdom of priests. It's not just something that we're claiming and not experiencing, it's actually something that we're living. He's seen the end of the story is the point. He goes, and that thing that was in God's heart for, for him to have a people that would love him, that would worship him, that would adore him, that he would flow back and forth in love together with, that idea, he goes, I've seen the end of it, it's happening, it's happening. And beloved, if you could just land this, that's what I was gonna say a minute ago. I look in the mirror at myself and I go, you want this 
five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, broken in all these different ways, inadequate in so many ways. I, I say sorry more than I say anything else almost because of the number of mistakes I make. Just learn the word sorry. It's a good one. Don't, don't point the finger over there. Just point it back here. God, man, I'm sorry I messed that up. But, but I realized, man, my own brokenness, my own weakness. And I go, you want this? This is what you want. He goes, oh, yeah. And then I have to deal with the scandal of the cross, the scandal of the shed blood, the scandal of my calling and my identity as a priest. God made me to love me because he wants me to love him back. It's the very thing that Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed, Father, the love that you have for me, let it be in them. He let them love me back. I go, you want me? He goes, yes. And so all I can do in that moment is say, okay, I love you. I love you. And if there's one thing I'm gonna do in this life, by the grace of God, I'm gonna love him back. I'm gonna priest before him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship and adore him. I'm gonna minister to him. You know he wants to hear your voice? But you go, I'm not a good singer. That don't matter. I, I, I've come to this revelation. People may not like how I sing, but God likes it. And because he likes it, I'm like, I am a chosen generation, a royal priest. I mean, I'll just go for it because he likes it. Even if it sounds like I've been gargling with gravel, he likes it. <laughs> he wants to hear me. He wants to hear you. That's why we sing. He likes singing. He likes our affections. Last thought. I've been so convicted this la in the last year, beginning of this year, I've been so convicted about how often I've let my digital life interrupt my calling as a priest in worship, worshiping him. Oh. And somehow that momentary interruption takes precedent of my calling to priest before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm going on the record in a bunch of places so that I'm just holding my own self accountable and others too can hold me accountable. But I'm taking that thing, I'm putting it down. Turning it over, turning it off, putting it in another room so that when I come before him, he gets my attention. This generation, the church in this generation, we've been attacked with distraction and it steals from our calling to love and adore him. And I'm just, I wanna do violence to that so I can, I can do well with what he's called me to be as a, as a priest before him. Am I making sense this morning? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're just gonna take a minute right here. We're getting ready. To, we're just gonna wrap up. But that wrap up prayer, I, I, I know, I know how easy it is. We get, in these, we get in these trenches, you know, these ruts. We know how it goes. I'm gonna, in your mind right now, I'm gonna pray a one to three minute prayer. We're gonna have a little bit of string music come on and then we're walking out the door and it's lunchtime, baby. I, I, mean, I know that's what's, you know, in our normal sort of, the way we do. But could we not just, could we not just do, just not do that right now? Could we just like, just across the room, like just close our eyes right now? And, and what if, what if we could 100% just give him our attention right now? 
All of us in the room right now, we're just gonna give him our attention. We wanna focus on Jesus. And I'm just gonna begin to tell him how much I love him. And I want you to know he wants to hear your voice too and you can just whisper, but could we just minister to him just for a few moments right before we leave today and make this our practice, not just today's thing, but make this our practice, how we live a kingdom of priests. And Jesus, I wanna tell you I love you. My life is yours. I'm for you. It blows my mind that you want to hear me speak love to you. I want to tell you, Jesus, you're the most beautiful one there is. Just whisper to him your love. And just minister to him. We worship you, Jesus. Your eyes are fire. Your face like the sun voice like the sound of many waters. You're beautiful beyond description. You're holy. You're glorious. We worship you. We want to minister to you. We want to minister to you. We minister to your heart, to love and adore you. You've made us a kingdom of priests. Let us understand what it means to have access to you, access to you, access to you, to your heart. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have our first identity in our first calling. We'd see ourselves as priests before you, before any job that you've invited us to, to do with you, before any vocation that we're a priest unto you. That you want our love, you want our worship. Let us all see it clear, a kingdom of priests not one left out. Let us all see it. Let the wonder of that, that you'd want our affection, let it overwhelm us. We wanna love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, do it deeply in us as a spiritual family. We're trying to be built as spiritual family around the presence of God. Help us to see our identity as a kingdom of priests give you thanks for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed.